0: Once he acknowledged me, I felt like like these strings kind of loosen around my heart. And I was like, gosh, I, I feel like that's really, really, really what I needed was <laughs> him just to say, yes, it's true, you are half of my DNA. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I?
1: Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show is Michelle, who lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico michelle shared her story of growing up in the care of a workaholic in a family that she didn't look like at all after moving from hawaii to africa then back to the states michelle finally decided to search for herself and therefore her biological family after a random layover in the south she met her birth mother and siblings found her birth father through dna but can't boast of a strong relationship with either biological parent still She's thankful for having gotten confirmation from her search. This is Michelle's journey. Michelle was born in Hawaii. She was adopted into the Mormon faith where she had a large family. Many of her aunties and uncles lived at home with her adopted grandmother. She was surrounded by all of them and she felt like a bit of a gift to the family. Michelle was celebrated and the family believed God had brought her to them. Feeling special, she remembers being a child who openly told people that she was adopted. Michelle's mother was a single mother in Hawaii, where they lived until Michelle was six years old. Then, someone special entered her mother's life.
0: My mom met a person and decided that we should move to Africa for a year. So we moved all the way from Hawaii to Africa, and that was a pretty intense shock. I kind of Um, they were in the middle of the Civil War, and I really was super close with my grandma and my aunties and my uncles, because they were still young enough to be living at home.
1: You said in your submission that your mom divorced your father?
0: Yeah. I was adopted at three days old, and, um, the man that my mom adopted me with, the one that I, um... Whose name I still have, actually. Um, he came back from Vietnam and he had been a helicopter pilot and he came back a heroin addict. And nobody really understood what was happening, actually. And, um, so when my mom finally figured out, you know, there was, of course, no like PTSD or veterans help or anything. And so she divorced him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and then she met another man who was from Africa, from Rhodesia. Mm. And that's why we moved there. She married him.
1: When their family moved to war-torn Rhodesia, Michelle was extracted from the limelight in Hawaii, and she was no longer the center of attention. It wasn't long before Michelle's mother decided to move to Colorado, where Michelle grew up from 8 to 18 years old. Michelle said her stepdad, the Rhodesian man, didn't really like the cold, so Colorado was tough. He didn't really like America that much, but there he was, living in the Midwest. And he didn't really like kids, but there he was, a stepfather. A miserable trifecta for this generally unhappy guy. As an only child, Michelle used to wish her mother would give her a sibling every birthday and every Christmas until she learned that her mom couldn't bear children of her own. Michelle's mom was a very busy woman, truly dedicated to her career as a nurse and scholar, getting two master's degrees and a Ph.D. All of that work meant Michelle spent a lot of time with her stepfather, which she thinks is the reason why she wanted a sibling so badly.
0: I did find him when I was um, in, like, 2008. And um, he apologized profusely to me and, uh, you know, he was just, he was grouchy and he, you know, said that he had not been treated well by his family and he really um, was apologetic and I totally believed
1: him. When Michelle was 21, her mom became a professor and moved back to Hawaii, staying behind in Colorado. Michelle really missed her grandmother and wished she could go back to see her. She was the person who picked Michelle up from the hospital on adoption day because Michelle's mom was working. So... Wow.
0: I think, you know, instead of me looking for my birth mom and thinking about my birth mom, I was always thinking about my grandma because I wanted to go back to Hawaii and live with my grandma. Um... So that kind of took a lot of my questioning away about my uh, birth family. Yeah, and my grandma, you know, like I said, she's the one that picked me up from the hospital. She's the one that always told me, you know, oh, because it's a two-hour drive. I was born in a little tiny hospital on the North Shore of Hawaii, and, um, she said, you cried and cried. They didn't give us enough milk, and you just cried the whole way home. And I said, "Oh, finally, as an adult, I'm like, I don't think it's because I didn't have enough milk. You know? Yeah. I think it's because I was being taken away
1: from my mom. Michelle admits she made up stories about who her birth mother might be, a singer with dark brown hair who tragically had to give up her daughter. Her famous fictional birth mother was, of course, going to be very happy to see her when they found one another again. But in reality, Michelle was an adoptee in a Mormon family.
0: Well, adoption was strange in my family because I have 35 first cousins on one side. You know, the Mormon people have a lot of children. And I was the only child, and everybody knew that I was adopted so i I did definitely feel like I didn't belong, and that I didn't look like anybody. They're all blonde hair and blue eyed and I'm not mhm and um everybody was always nice to me, but I did feel different
1: Mhm, you know? wow, yeah, I'll bet. If you've got 35 mm-hmm. first cousins and most of them are blonde hair, blue eyed, and you're not, I mean, that's a, <laughs> you stand out. Yeah. That's incredible. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> what then was a trigger for you to actually want, well, before you go there, let me just ask you about your relationship with your adopted mother. Were you, were you guys close? She's got this husband that didn't like you. You've moved around the globe, and you're you're no longer the center of, atten- center of attention. She's a workaholic. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, my sense mm-hmm. is maybe you weren't, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. What was your relationship like yeah. with your adopted mom?
0: Um, it was pretty strained. I I think she was very stressed out, and um. She didn't really understand what it was like to be a child for some reason, you know. T- children weren't her forte, shall we say? <laughs>
1: so. How, how do you mean that? <clears throat> what does that feel like? What? What can you describe it?
0: Well, I mean, I I feel like I kind of was alone, and that um, you know I was allowed to. As long as I followed the rules, I kind of did my own thing.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. That sounds (laughs) kind of tough. Sounds lonely.
0: It was super lonely.
1: Those feelings of loneliness left Michelle feeling like she just wanted to get out of there. Just get away. She suspects it's one of the influential factors in her career choice to be a flight attendant. She said it gave her the chance to go places. But that deep within herself, she was looking for home because it wasn't where she lived.
0: Yeah, and one thing that's really interesting is um, I remember going to the Greenville, South Carolina airport and I got out of the airplane there and I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the, the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. And I loved this little tiny airport and it was just so charming and so sweet to me. And come to find out that's where my birth family is from.
1: That's crazy, really? Yes. Wow, that's unreal. You were mm-hmm. you were a flight attendant. You left mm-hmm. you were on layover in Greenville, South Carolina?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And so you got to tool around a little bit in town and you found yep. this town to be just am- amazing.
0: Wow. Yeah, I was I was totally enchanted by it. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, wow, where you know, I'd never really been to the south. I I mostly lived in Colorado and been on the west coast and and I was yeah, flying internationally. Mostly I just happened to end up there that one day.
1: Really? So You're normally on international flights, and this one day you land in Greenville, South Carolina, of all places. Wow. Okay, so now we know some part of Michelle's story is going to involve Greenville, South Carolina. So let's explore how this search for herself took her there. Since Michelle hasn't said what triggered her search, I asked her to explain what catalyzed things within her.
0: I call it the year that my life exploded. It was, uh, 2004. And, uh, my grandma had died. I got divorced. I lost my best friend. I quit my career. And, uh, I moved across the country. I was starting a new, um, career. And, um, I also got the primal wound that year I got all of this happened in that year and um I decided okay I'm gonna finally look because the state of Hawaii you had to hire a private investigator through the state and I always thought it was gonna cost like ten thousand dollars for some reason that was the number that I had in my head Mm -hmm. and so finally I called him and I was like um you know, how much does this cost? And they're like, oh, it's like $180. I was like, oh, my God. So, yeah, I think it was just like everything fell apart. And I was like, okay, I need a direction to go towards. So I, I hired the private investigator for 180 bucks, And he's like, yeah, it's going to take me, you know, six to eight weeks. And uh, I got a call back a week later, and I was, you know, eating lunch. And he said, okay, well, I talked to your mom last night. She's going to call you tomorrow. What? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, are you serious? I was like, can I have a little bit more? And he's like, that's how, you know, you said you wanted her to call you. And then I was like, okay.
1: What a year. Michelle's dear grandmother passed away. A dear friend passed away as well. She got a divorce, moved cross-country, quit one job to start another, and. The private investigator Michelle hired for far less than she thought she'd have to pay found her birth mother immediately. The day before her birth mother's call, Michelle called everyone she could think of to share the news about their big reunion call the next day. The night before, Michelle said she doesn't remember sleeping much at all.
0: So yeah, so she calls the next day and um, she has a, a really deep southern accent she she was so sweet and she was like just really humble and like kind and um she was talking to me about my siblings her three kids and um you know she was just she was real open yeah she didn't have any she didn't hide anything and i was like okay I was actually, I was still working for the airlines at that point. I was like, I'm going, I can be there tomorrow, <laughs> you know, cause I could fly for free. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think I waited a couple weeks, but, you know, I went down to Greenville to that same little airport and I knew, I knew her when I first saw her. I could, you know, I picked her out of a crowd. And that feeling of seeing somebody who you look like and who looks like you, it's um, indescribable. It was really um, beautiful.
1: On that first reunion trip, Michelle got to meet one younger sister whom she talks to a couple of times a week. A little brother and a younger sister who is only one year younger than herself. Since her birth mother was so open during that first conversation, I asked Michelle to take me back and share what she learned. Her birth mother said that when she was pregnant, her mother, Michelle's maternal grandmother, decided to ship her off to Hawaii to stay with a military family who were friends of theirs. Reminder, Michelle's birth mother's family is from Greenville, South Carolina. Her birth mother was sent across the entire United States, then out into the Pacific Ocean about 5,000 miles away from home. For all intents and purposes, she disappeared in the middle of the night, her own siblings unaware of what was going on. That family in Hawaii wasn't getting along so well at the time, so her mom got a job with a woman who owned a gift shop with a small apartment upstairs. At 17 years old, her birth mother ran the gift shop while pregnant, all the while pining for her love.
0: She had been in love with my dad, and she really thought that she could keep me, and that um, he went to Vietnam as well, and um, didn't come through for her, so she had to do that, or she had to go there and do what her mother said, you What, know? what does
1: that mean, he didn't come through for her?
0: Well... He didn't marry her and, you know, kind of save us from this fate.
1: The gift shop owner and everyone Michelle's birth mother met treated her very well, and her birth mother wanted to stay in Hawaii. Michelle said when she was finally born, it was in a three-room hospital in a sugarcane village on the north shore of Hawaii.
0: Well, the story goes that um, when I was born that the nurse wasn't supposed to bring me in to see her, and she did. And so my mom called off the relinquishment and kind of shut everything down and kept me for two days or three days in the hospital. And on the fourth day when she had to leave the hospital, she, she relinquished me and let me go.
1: Man, what did you think when you heard that story?
0: Well, as a young person, it made me think, you know, well, geez, at least she she did want me. But as a young person, it was also hard for me to think of her and the pain that she was probably having, you know? Like, I think I kind of thought that it was not that hard for her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh- I find that adoptees, we make this assumption that we were just kind of very casually and relatively easily cast away. And (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you've heard this before and and it's fascinating that we don't – until we're really like old enough to fathom what the possibilities are, what pregnancy really means, what it's Mm. like to endure delivery – and bond potentially with your child, it's not until you can fathom all of that stuff that you kind of think, Oh, wow, that that might have been actually pretty hard to do. Even if even if you mm. knew you didn't want to be a mother, that I could still see that being really challenging. So yeah, it takes us a while mm-hmm. to get to a place of consciousness where you can recognize that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So you fly to Greenville, South Carolina. You meet your birth mother face to face, and what do you see in her that mm-hmm. looks like you?
0: Well, we both love to dance, <laughs> so, so awesome. we, were, we just you know music came on, and both of us just started dancing. I was like, "Oh wow, like this is great!" And my sister and my brother they they would like be like, "Oh, mother does that? Stop doing that!" <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" No. <laughs> like, awesome. "This is- Like, some of my mannerisms were, like, hers, which was, like, amazing for me. (laughs) I'm like, I do come from somewhere, you know? Like, Mm. yeah, I wasn't just patched out an egg.
1: (laughs) Michelle said during their quick visit, they just kind of hung out with her younger sister, who was pregnant. Michelle went back a few months later, so her maternal relatives had a family party. She got to meet aunts, uncles, and her maternal grandmother. While she was on the ground in Greenville, Michelle searched for her birth father's name in the local phone book, the name her birth mother had given her, but she could never find him there.
0: It was kind of surreal, you know, I mean, this was 2004, so it's been a while. Yeah, you know, it's the, the honeymoon, you know, where it's like, you kind of rush in and you're like, let's get all these stories down, like, what's going on, and... But it's like you don't really know anybody. And they're also like kind of from a different culture than me, you know? How do you mean? Well, I mean, Southern Baptists are different than, a you know, like a world-traveling international person from the West, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, I could see that. So did the honeymoon wear off? Is that kind of what you're alluding to?
0: Well, the honeymoon kind of, yeah, it did kind of her off with my mom. But with my sister and I, we stayed, we stayed really close. And that is like the biggest gift that I have found from this whole, um, reunion stuff. Yeah, you know, my, my first mom didn't seem to really have a lot of, I mean, she had three kids and a husband. And um, so she was. I mean, you know, I have to say that I feel like she kind of had a little bit of arrested development. Like I think after giving me up at the age of seventeen, you know, she never went back to school, and she turned around and had another baby right away. And I think she just was really hurt, and she kind of seemed a little, a little bit like a teenager still.
1: Oh, interesting. Even oh. though she's a grown up.
0: I have to say this, too, that um, even though I met them in 2004 and I got the primal wound and I kind of read it and I knew that I had been, like, hurt by adoption and I knew that, like, some of my tendencies came out of adoption. But I didn't really come out of the fog until about two years ago. When I started listening to all these podcasts, to your podcast in particular, hmm. and found groups on Facebook, and I was like, oh my god, I'm not alone. And I started reading all these books, like your memoir and other people's memoirs, and started realizing there's actually kind of a political movement behind us, and that adoption is trauma, and it has caused a lot of suffering for the whole triad
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's true mm-hmm. that's fascinating why do you think that it you considered yourself to be in the fog still after reunion until recently right? what do you how do you because that's i've not heard that before and it sounds really interesting
0: yeah well i think i just didn't go any further you know like i met them my sister and my brother and my mom, and I was like, this is, you know, this is enough. And their culture, like I said, was so different for me that I was trying to get to know them and, you know, not um, trying to stay connected, right? And um, I didn't really think about myself that much. Because as adoptees, we can tend to be people pleasers really just wanting to, I just had to fit in with them Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of do what I thought would not rock the boat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: So your relationship with her has basically faded off.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I go to South Carolina and visit my nieces and nephews and my sister and my brother, we'll meet up. But And if I ever have any questions, I could call her. But, yeah, it has kind of faded away.
1: That's too bad. But it's, I mean, sometimes it's kind of natural. You haven't known this person your entire life. As you've said, you're completely culturally different. And while yeah. you may look alike and be interested in some similar things, like that doesn't necessarily constitute the depths of a healthy relationship, right? So what's left? Yeah. And yeah. I, I could see how that would be really tough. Michelle said she made time to find a good therapist, found her way out of the fog, then decided to search for her birth father. After submitting her DNA sample to Ancestry, she got a match for a second cousin. When she got in touch with the woman, Michelle asked if she knew her birth father and revealed the man's name. Her cousin confirmed Michelle's birth father was her uncle.
0: And she said, oh yeah, he lives in Wisconsin. So I put his name and Wisconsin into Google and I had his address, a picture of his house, like his phone number. Mm-hmm. I knew my sibling, you know, immediately. And so I sent him a letter, and he did not respond. And then I sent him a second letter with, like, you know, all these pictures and my whole life story. And I'm, you know, I'm a pretty, like, animated person. And I was like, uh-oh. And so the third letter, I finally said, hey, I found you through Ancestry, and this person knows about me. And DNA doesn't really lie, so... And then he sent me an email. <laughs> oh, wow. And he was like, oh, hey, I'm really sorry about not being in contact. And that was about, over about six or seven months. I, got, I guess I got the email about three months ago. And uh, he sounded, it sounded like his wife was not very happy he told my half brother and my half sister about me and my half brother sent me an email and I emailed him back and I haven't heard back from either one of them. And um, I did find out though that his, his mother is still alive, my paternal grandmother. And I was kind of more excited about being in contact with her than, you know, I was like, wow, my grandma's still alive, please, you know, Tell her about me. I would like to go immediately before she dies. And so? Well, I haven't heard back. Oh no. I know, and it's it's starting to feel a little bit like a failed reunion. I don't know what else to do.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. No yeah, welcoming hard. parade. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <sighs> These reunions are tough because it's it's two parties have to agree to do it.
0: Right. Right.
1: You know, and right. If only one of them is interested and is putting in the energy, and the other one isn't, it's just, it just doesn't work. I'm sorry. That's really hard.
0: Yeah i I mean I don't feel as attached as I did to my birth mom. I think because I have my siblings now that I always wanted, that I'm okay. Um, I have room in my heart and my life for the other side of the, the family, but I'm, I'm okay.
1: Well, that's good to hear. Have you been it is. continuing therapy just to work through this last piece of starting to feel like this is a failed paternal reunion?
0: Um, yeah, I definitely have. And once he acknowledged me, I felt like like these strings kind of loosen around my heart. And I was like, gosh, I, I feel like that's really, really, really what I needed was <laughs> him just to say yes. It's true. You are half of my DNA. hmm And um, here we are.
1: So the acknowledgement is enough for now.
0: It is, yeah. That's good. Yeah, and I really would like to see my grandma before she passes. Yeah. But I don't even know what his relationship is with her, so...
1: Not going to hold my breath. Yeah, it's impossible to tell. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. it's good that you're continuing therapy. I'm glad that you feel like you're in a decent place. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the maternal validation is really important. And the fact that you even got to be face-to-face with her is more than a lot of people get. And like you said, you get to keep your relationship with your siblings. So that's kind of awesome. Yeah.
0: It's amazing.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Wow.
0: I'm super grateful that it that I looked and um I know who I am and I know where I came from. And those are, you know, kind of two separate things. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they are two separate things, but very important things and you've got both and that's yeah. That's pretty darn cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, Mm -hmm. Michelle. I appreciate you taking time to share your story. And I'm glad that you found some clarity and were able to attribute a piece of your coming out of the fog to this show. And I'm glad you decided to share your story to help others Mm -hmm. out. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Damon, for all the work that you do for our community.
1: Oh, my God. It
0: really is so heartening to know that all of us are out here together and we're, like, making it happen and telling our truth and not hiding.
1: It's my pleasure. I couldn't do it without folks like you who are stepping forward to bravely mm. share everything that's in your heart, all of your experiences mm. and your own emotions. The show is not a show. Without you. So thank you for being here. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks a lot, Damon. All right. Take care. Take good care. You too. All the best, Michelle.
1: Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. Michelle had an interesting childhood, raised in a Mormon family she looked nothing like, reared by a workaholic mother, and moving all over the place from Hawaii to Rhodesia to Colorado. It was fascinating to hear that her mother was working, so her grandmother picked Michelle up from the hospital on adoption day. Michelle ended up missing her grandmother very much when their family moved away, and it seemed like that affinity for grandmothers continued in reunion, wanting to meet her maternal and paternal grandmothers, respectively. It was incredible to hear that of all the places in the world, Michelle, the international flight attendant could have landed She had a layover in her birth mother's hometown of Greenville, South Carolina. I'm glad they got to meet, but it's too bad they don't have an ongoing relationship. Of course, it's also kind of sad that nothing developed between Michelle and her paternal family, but at least she got the validation she needed to loosen the strings around her heart. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Michelle's journey that inspires you. Validates your feelings about wanting to search or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn who am I really if you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family please visit whoamireallypodcast.com share you can follow the show at facebook.com slash WAI really or follow on twitter at WAI really if the show is meaningful to you You can support me with a contribution to Keep It Going on patreon.com slash Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And if you're interested, you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really? An Adoptee Memoir on Amazon.com, on Kindle, or as an audiobook on Audible. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.